The following is a list of places you can see Gabriel perform comedy. Or you could just serve him some papers and leave. June 12th Aurora Borealis in Shoreline, Washington. June 15th The Raymond Theater in Raymond, Washington. June 18th The Lakewood Elks Club in Lakewood, Washington. June 19th Schaefer's in Sumner, Washington. And June 21st and 22 he will be at the Hard Rock Casino in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. For more info and for all of his show dates go to GabrielRutledge.com. Episode 23 of Happiness Isn't Funny with Gabriel Rutledge starts right now. And now here's your host, Gabriel Rutledge. Check, check. No more arigato, Mr. Rabato. Domo. Domo. All right, rolling. Recording from home this morning. Uh, just enjoying a little bit of my coffee. Mm. I actually, uh, I like my coffee, I like my women. Uh, before and after napping. I had a, uh, I had a very early dentist appointment today. And, uh, I know I just, I just talked a couple episodes ago about going to the dentist because that's the kind of riveting content I have where I list my errands and chores. Uh, and I hadn't been, I hadn't been to the dentist, uh, the dentist, uh, in 12 years. And now I've been, uh, twice in a month. It was okay. I don't know what happened. I, I just woke up and I felt like my teeth didn't fit my mouth anymore. This sounds like a a stupid tooth anxiety dream you have. Like I had a dream my teeth didn't fit. But it, they just felt it felt slightly off. Like one tooth was like pushing against one of my teeth on top, and I'm like, what? They had told me th- they thought I might be grinding my teeth in my sleep, so I'm like, oh, that might be it. And then I got a mouth guard, and it just felt slightly off. And it, and it also it makes you insane because it's a thing you don't think about. I don't wake up every day thinking about how my teeth work or how they... I'm like, do they always touch? Is this how I normally hold my mouth? Is this tighter or looser than I normally hold my mouth? So uh, it was really... I mean, there would be times I would forget about it and it would be fine. But, like, uh, it was really driving me crazy. Like, chewing gum, you just feel it like touch, touch, touch. I don't think that lower tooth is supposed to touch the upper tooth. So... I went to the dentist and he said, yeah, uh, it's probably because you put the mouth guard on and it worked slightly like a retainer <laughs> and uh, it moved your bottom tooth just a fraction of whatever. And so he shaved it. He shaved my tooth like with a little diamond cutter. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell. It's very small. And uh, I think I'm normal now. I think my mouth is all good. Uh, if it was ever bad, I don't know. He said it was touching more than it should. I don't know. I feel insane. Um, I can't think about my teeth all the time. Every bite. Is this normal? Is this normal? So I think that's done. I don't... Just falling apart. I still have a sore knee. My uh, microphone elbow I was complaining about. I think that's... Seems to be on the mend. Uh, I don't know. It's so weird when, uh, something you just take for granted 
like your teeth or chewing, uh, betrays you. And the only other time it was more serious. <laughs> Am I going to talk about this this early in the podcast? Uh, the only other time that really happened in my life was uh, back when I had foreskin. Buckle up, everyone. Foreskin stories coming. I uh, I mean, you know, I, I had hippie parents. I was born at home, out in the woods, basically. Uh, you know, my dad delivered me. And so I was not circumcised as a baby because, you know, he would have had to do it. <laughs> uh, but I did. So I got circumcised when I was 26. Uh, oh, no, maybe I was 28. Um, I'll have to check my journal. I'll have to check my penis journal. But it, it was the same kind of thing as my teeth in a weird way. Because um, the dentist did it. No, because uh, because all of a sudden, I mean, this is way too much information. But, like, you know, you got your foreskin there. And all of a sudden, it seemed tighter than normal. And I'm like, and then you're like, well, maybe it's, has it always been this tight? And then eventually, I'm like, no, this is actually uncomfortable. It was uh, not at penis resting position, but at full penis attention. It was actually painful. And so I had to go, and uh, apparently I had phimosis, which is some sort of constricting of the foreskin. And so I had to get circumcised at age 28. Uh, which, if you're going to get circumcised, um, do it as a baby. I would recommend all you babies listening, uh, talk your parents into it now, because, uh, it you know, it's not a huge procedure, but, like, it's... You know, it's uh, it's a little bigger of a procedure uh, as an adult when they're like, there'll be some swelling. I'm like, oh, I can do some swelling. And then like the next day you're like, fuck. Uh, but anyway, that was actually, I think I was 28 because I remember thinking uh, my son was born that same year, and we decided not to circumcise him. And then I, me I remember thinking how weird – I don't know. I think most most fathers <laughs> match their sons as far as circumcised or not circumcised. And uh, I realized uh, I was not going to match. But I don't – I couldn't – the only reason I didn't – the only reason I would have circumcised my son is because women are so goddamn mean about uncircumcised men. Just like, ooh, gross. And, you know, I know most of the world, most of the world is uncircumcised men. But there are a lot of mean American bitches who I still hear say mean things about foreskin. Like, ugh, which, you know, it's... uh. Sure, you're allowed personal preference, but it's fucking rude. I mean, you know, if you got your labia trimmed up as a as a baby, I think you would consider that uh, to be barbaric. But uh, and then I also I feel weird because uh, I'll be honest. Now that it's all over, um, I think I kind of prefer to be circumcised. Why? I don't know. I think it's just <laughs> my current penis is more represented in pornography, maybe, 
where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what mine looks like. If that one I'm watching on a screen had a little brother, that's what mine looks like. I mean, think about that. You don't see a lot of, uh, you don't see a ton of uncircumcised penises in pornography. Or if you do, they're listed as uncircumcised as uh, one of the characteristics. And, uh, you know, I never thought about it till now, but representation does matter. And also, since I'm being way too revealing, uh, just a few minutes into the podcast, I will answer the question a lot of people have, since I've had both. I'm one of the few humans who has had, as an adult even, a uncircumcised and circumcised penis. The answer to your questions is... Uh, masturbation was better with foreskin. Intercourse, about the same. Blowjobs, better without foreskin. Those are the answers to the big three questions. Uh, giving blowjobs uh, felt the same no matter what. It's a weird thing we do, trimming the foreskin off of tiny, tiny babies. I don't, that's, you know, I've talked about that before, like things that would be hard to explain to the aliens. <laughs> that's one of them. They're like, you know, wait, what do you do? What do you do to your brand new human boys that have just been born? You trim their foreskin off that was clearly there for a fucking reason. It grew on them. Uh, and I do think there's a lot less, um, I know from my wife being in parenting groups and stuff, there, there's a lot less, uh, circumcising, there's a lot more uncircumcised men than there used to be in America, but I still, I don't think it's the majority. Um, but it is very weird, man. It's very weird because there's a lot of like, well, you have to do it because it's like unclean. What? What? So's your mouth. We leave your lips on. I mean, you know, that I, the, the idea that, like, if you have foreskin, you just have a filthy, filthy penis. Well, I, you, you know, you can bathe. You know? Butts get pretty smelly. We don't surgically alter those on infants. That being said, I, I did watch a documentary uh, uh, with my wife about uh, guys who were really upset they were circumcised. And uh, they actually, I guess if you do, you can, <laughs> you can kind of make it come back by like, they basically are like putting rocks in it and folding over skin that wasn't there and like leaving it they can like you can sort of reshape for and that was just like all right uh, that's even more ridiculous i mean you know i've had both quality of life is about the same there's you know there's a bunch of nerve endings and stuff in there that uh these men felt deprived that they never got and that's you know that's why <clears throat> you know uh, i also, okay, this is too much, but I did, like, you know, I people would make lotion jokes about masturbation. I didn't really get it 
until I was circumcised because that's not a thing you would need to do if you have foreskin. That's, you know, it's uh, it's like a little sleeve that uh, Jesus provided you on your penis already. You don't need to add lubrication. Yeah, and that's why, you know, follow the money. Big lube. Big lube wants you to be circumcised, okay? Follow the money. It's Jergens. <laughs> Jergens campaign to make people think uncircumcised penises look gross so they can sell more lotion. All right? You got to fight back against Big Lube. Jesus Christ. This wasn't on my list of things to talk about. <laughs> but here we are. What's next? Should I start talking about some of the ass problems I've had in my life? Which, I've been okay. I've been... <laughs> oh. I will say, uh, I tried to do this bit on stage, and I, it, I think it was too real. I think it was too real. Uh... The, uh, I got, you know, I got a finger in the old poop chute from the doctor. That's not what they call it on the printout they give you at the end. They're not like, finger in the poop chute test went well. But, uh, this is, uh, absolutely true. You know, they just, uh, I think part of the problem is they don't, there's no, like, actual, like, I think if you get a breast exam, there's, like, an official... I mean, I heard it's really uncomfortable, and they kind of smash your boo, but there's, like, an official machine with the... Uh, with the... with the uh, checking your prostate, they just... You just pull your pants down and bend over. Which doesn't feel medical. Uh, so, anyway, he does that. Lubes up. And then, uh... You know, <laughs> this is what he says with a finger in my anus. He goes, wow! Which already, that's not, wow is not a medical term. That's not a thing. I mean, the only time you would like to hear wow, maybe, is if he was like, you know, let me take a, let me take a look at your penis so I can... You know, you have to do a turn and cough thing. I don't know what medically that means, but that you do when you have a checkup. They, like, hold your balls and they say cough. But if he told you to take your pants down and you did and he went, wow, maybe that would be good. But I'm thinking, wow, like, wow, you can't believe the size of the tumor. Wow, you can't believe that much hair grew. I don't, <laughs> I don't, that's the first thing is that he goes, wow. And then he was like, you are really tight. <laughs> Which I don't need to. I've led my whole life. I never knew that. I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to walk around knowing I had a tight asshole. That seems very unprofessional. Uh, wow, you are really tight. I didn't know what to say. And so I said, thank you. <laughs> I think I was too flattered. He was like, wow, you're really tight. I was like, thank you. This old thing. <laughs> but that just seems, uh, 
That just seems like a ridiculous thing you should never say as a doctor. Jesus, I can barely get a digit in there. I don't know if you have cancer, but... <laughs> anyway, long story short, I have a uh, I have a note from my doctor that says I have a tight asshole. And uh, I show it to everyone when they come over. Check this out. Pretty cool, huh? Good. So far, uh, we talked about my teeth, my penis, and my butt. So... I guess it's time to talk about this episode's sponsor. <laughs> Too late. No refunds. Uh, if you would like to sponsor an episode uh, of this podcast, uh, it's five bucks. I'll plug whatever you want. Send me an email, gabriel at gabrielrutledge.com, or message me uh, on one of my various social medias. Slide into my DMs. Um, this episode is once again sponsored by my pal Casey McLean. Yes, he has a podcast called The Casey McLean Show that you can get to by going to cask.audio or searching. Yes, you can go to thecaseymcclain.com and uh, learn about his burgeoning stand-up career. Uh, but this is about his show, June 30th, at Shakabra Java in Tacoma, Washington, uh, where he will be headlining with some of his funny friends. Uh, well, they're not headlining. He's headlining. It's a free show, but you have to reserve your seat. Uh, so you can go to, uh, you can find Shakabra Java on Facebook, of course. Uh, but the easiest thing to do is I'm going to uh, put a uh, free ticket link in the episode notes of this very podcast. Uh Reserve your seat. Uh, seating preferences will be given to uncircumcised men. They get to sit in the front. It's your turn. <laughs> Just tell Casey when you get there if you're circumcised or not. He'll want to know. Uh, ha, ha, ha. I just did the Comedy Underground uh, with Casey. Um which uh, was fun. We had, we had a fun uh, we had a fun little Friday through Sunday. Uh, not super well attended, but you know, it's summer, I guess. Um, it's a pretty mellow weekend, which is I actually usually it's Thursday through Sunday, but I uh, uh, Thursday I was in uh, Northern California somewhere, Tuolumne, Tuolumne. To all the girls I've loved before. Um, at the Black Oak Casino. Which, uh... That was... <laughs> that show was kind of funny because, uh... I don't I mean... The Booker, he also owns the Comedy Underground in Seattle. And he was like, well, let's do a... Come down on Thursday. I'll fly you down on Thursday. And we'll make this part of your week. And So I figured since I was being flown down that it was going to be kind of a big show, but it was it was not. It was maybe a room that fit 200, and there was about 45 people there. Uh, and a lot of cotton tops, a lot of white hairs. So it was fine, but it was also, uh, you know, kind of a long travel day because I had to fly to uh, San Francisco, 
three-hour drive there. Um, and it for a kind of show that is something I would do like around here in uh, Seattle or Tacoma at some shitty casino, but I uh, I had been to that casino before in two thousand six, so you know twelve thirteen years ago. Uh, during the San Francisco Comedy Competition, I also performed at the Black Goat Casino. I don't remember what place I got that night, but uh, I do know I got ninth place overall in the contest. I made the semifinals. Um, it, but it, it kind of made me think, because that was uh, the San Francisco contest, uh, I would consider to be one of the great disappointments I'm not great. It's one of the disappointments in my comedy career. Because in 2004, you know, I was just a kid. I was 30. Uh, I won the Seattle International Comedy Competition. And so in 2006, I'm like, oh, I'm two years funnier. I at least want to make the finals in San Francisco. And uh, I didn't. I got ninth. Eh, you know, felt like I could have done a little better, judging-wise. I did, but, you know, it's... I, uh, I I felt I felt disappointed, and uh, I don't know why. I, just on that trip, thinking about oh, the last time I was here was twelve years ago. I was six years into comedy in two thousand six. Of course, I didn't win the San Francisco comedy competition. Yeah, I won Seattle four years in, which is even more amazing. But like. I'm kind of. I was kind of carrying that around. Twelve years later, like, ah, stupid San Francisco contest. I really blew it. What? Well, how good was I supposed to do? Six years into comedy is not that far. It really isn't. Um. So, uh, I don't know why. I just. I, I guess. I've I've talked in a previous episode about sometimes if you like someone or you have a crush on someone, or you think a romance is starting, where you you sort of write your own... You're, you're writing a story that they don't necessarily know they're a part of. Uh, I I think I did that. I've done that many times in comedy, and the San Francisco contest was one of them, where it was like, I was going to be the first guy since uh, David Crow to win the Seattle contest and the San Francisco contest. And by the way, since then, there's been like two or three people who have done that. But at the time, there was only one who'd done it. I'm like, that's going to be me. Uh, you know, I think my wife and I, for some reason, in our head, it was like if I won the contest, then we could have another baby. Which is kind of, I don't know what the money was if you won. 5000 7000 maybe. Like, it's not like... It's not like winning the lottery where you're like, well, now we can have another baby because five grand goes pretty quick. But I just built it up. It was like going to be this coronation of, uh, of of all my comedy choices. And, and uh, you know, we'll have another baby. And I'll, obviously I'm going on to incredible fame and fortune if I can win two contests my first six years in comedy. And, and then I did it, and I did okay, and I got ninth. And, you know, it's a 12-hour drive back from San Francisco to uh, Olympia. And I'm just like, fuck. None of the the story I was writing did not happen. Uh, and then, of course, we just had another baby anyway. Because what the fuck? 
why not? I did I did the same thing in a different contest at the uh, Great American Comedy Festival, which was booked by a guy who who booked David Letterman at the time. Uh, and that was like 2011 or 10, somewhere around there. And I, I'm, in my head, I'm like, well, this is the reason I didn't do good in San Francisco is because I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win the Great American Comedy Festival. I'm ready. I'm uh, probably going to get Letterman. And uh, how did, I did okay, didn't win. And then, uh, you know, it doesn't... You know, I I think pe- comics, no, people. People tend to build up things in their head that, like, if this happens, my whole world is going to change. You know, it's... I don't know what. If... <laughs> if uh, Maybe after graduating from high school, you're like, if I can get into the college I want to go to, that's going to be everything. And, you know, if I can get this job, if I can get this promotion, if I can do this thing, and if you're a comedian, if I can win this contest, if I can get this TV credit. And it doesn't, there's so many paths. You know, it's, when, when sometimes when I've done comedy contests, it feels like, I'm I'm not just in a comedy contest. It's like it's like if you win, you win life, and if you lose, you lose life. They feel like so important. But even the one stuff I've won, yeah, it was fucking great to win the Seattle comedy competition. It wasn't that big of a life changer. Nothing I've done has been that big of a life changer. There was no, uh, there's no coming of age performance that changed everything. There's just a bunch of tiny little steps that led to some more tiny little steps that will eventually end when I die. That's there's no, none of it's all that fucking important, and it all feels, uh, like it is. You know the. 12, 12 years after I got ninth in the Seattle uh, in the in the San Francisco comedy competition, <clears throat> I was back at the Black Goat Casino, performing for a bunch of old people, selling some fucking T-shirts, packing up my shit, flying home, and continuing to be a professional comedian. It's it's uh, it's all part of my journey. Hello. This is a commercial word for Anchor Podcasts, the easiest way to host your podcast. Um, If you don't have a podcast, congratulations. You probably have an enjoyable life full of friends, family, and fun. Uh, But if you do have a podcast, um, I'm sorry, and you should use Anchor Podcasts. Uh, It's easy. It's free. Uh, They distribute everything for you. They give you sponsorship, which... uh, Apparently, it's just talking about Anchor. I guess that's their sponsorship, but I don't want to brag, but I make, you know, maybe six bucks a month doing this, so worth it? Of course it is. Uh, Go to anchor.fm or the Anchor app. We now return to another riveting episode of The Rutledges. You know, and uh, that being said, I'm doing a comedy competition at the end of this, well, in a couple weeks. Uh, and that one is important. 
because <laughs> not in a show business way, but uh, it's at, where is it? Hard Rock Casino in uh, Lake Tahoe. I can't, I don't know how the booker talked me into this fucking thing. It's like there's like eight people. If you win, you get two grand. If you get second, you get a thousand. If you get third, you get, I don't know, it goes down. But if you don't, you get no money. And so that's why that one's important because it's strictly economics. Like I, you know, basically if I don't get top two, I'm going to lose money on that weekend. I don't know why I said yes. Um, Don't get me wrong. I plan on winning, but, you know, I plan on winning all these contests. Uh, So I regret doing that one. But that that one's just – in fact, I don't even think – I think if we – if you don't make the finals, you don't even get a hotel room night two. It's like, fuck you. You're on your own. So, uh, yeah, I better do well. Not for uh, comedy industry reasons, but for uh, I need a bed reasons. I need to advance in that contest. And then even if – like even if I win – uh, yeah, the two grand will be nice, but it's not even, it's not even, it's never going to be in my bio, like winner of the Lake Tahoe Hard Rock Casino Comedy Competition. That's never going to be in there. Uh, probably because it sounds like something that happened right before a wet t-shirt contest, but anyway, I regret signing up for that. The booker sold me like, hey, you'll, pro- <laughs> you know, I think you'll do well. You know, some pretty good money you could pick up. I'm like, yeah. And then I realized, uh, not that I make two grand a weekend, but sometimes. I'm like, wait, why am I rolling the dice on not that much more money than I make regularly? <laughs> oh, well. Maybe that's the kind of motivation I need. If you don't advance to the next round, you don't get to eat. Sandwiches are for winners. Also, I'll I'll say this about uh, when I, you know, (laughs) sometimes the things you think are important are not important. And then sometimes things you don't realize are important uh, can be something. When I was in a band, uh, you know, guys remember the 90s, any of you? Um. Yeah, you know, Olympia, Washington was a bit of a, it was a hotbed of uh, punk rock music. We had record labels, you know, K Records, Kill Rock Stars. I don't know how many of you listening uh, know what the fuck I'm talking about, but, you know, we were in a band in Olympia. We wanted to be on these labels or any label. We wanted to put out our music. And uh, no one really seemed interested and uh, when we finally got a label in Olympia, <laughs> Punk and My Vitamins, which is a great label name, um, when we got that, when that person reached out to us and said, hey, I want to put out your guys' record, yes, record, it was after we played a show of Misfits covers. Not even our music. We're like, hey, just for fun, let's play all Misfit songs at this next show. Well, that's the show that got us a record. I don't want to say record deal because it wasn't that, you know, 
wasn't that formal. It was just like, I'll put out your record. But we didn't think, hey, if we really nail this show of Misfits covers, then we'll get to put out our music. It just That's just how it worked out. I mean, I don't know how many people saw me on Comedy Central, but I'm going to guess it was uh, less than 6 million. And that's how many people have seen my comedy clip on YouTube. That was never a career goal. I never thought, <laughs> especially in 2004, uh, way before I was on Facebook, I never thought someday I hope to have a viral clip on Facebook. That never, that wasn't a thing I thought was important or existed. And uh, I don't, I still don't know how important it is, but it's like, You know, if six million people see a clip, who cares where they saw it, whether it's on Facebook or Comedy Central or YouTube or Showtime or HBO or Netflix or, you know, eyeballs are eyeballs. Um, so, you know, the next the next exciting thing uh, that happens for me is probably something I don't even fucking know about yet. Oh, I got some new con. I've. I said I wasn't going to read the comments. I didn't want to read the comments. But uh, I got a lot of... Uh, one of the things that's been happening since my uh, that Facebook clip has been going good is I get more I get more YouTube subscribers. And so a couple days ago, it was like, I don't know, a bunch in one day. So I kind of checked. Um, God damn it, I keep getting messages. I'm in a Facebook message thread for someone who uh, is looking for people to volunteer to do a show for someone with leukemia, which um, that sucks that, that the person has leukemia. But I'm not. First of all, not only would I do a free show, but now I'm I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this text in this Facebook message thing. I don't know how to get out of it. And if I do get out of it, I think it says Gabriel left the conversation, and it feels like I'm turning my back on a person with leukemia. And also, also, someone said, I can't do it because I'm out of town, but break a leg. Which I know that's a showbiz uh, stage term for break a leg, but, you know, the guy's already got leukemia. Now you want him to break his leg? Anyway, mute. I'm going to mute it. That's okay. I'm muted. Anyway, I noticed I had all these new YouTube subscribers, so I'm like, maybe my, my clip must be uh, getting some views again, which it is. It's like... On the comedy juice page that shaved that shaved it that saved it is like two million views where it's been for a while, and uh, the laugh. What is it called? Laugh factory laugh. Laugh therapy laugh therapy one is now over four million, which is great. I don't think I get money. There's no ads on that one, so I don't think I. I don't even know how it ended up there. I don't honestly. I don't. Uh, but anyway. So I, I look at the views, and then it's like I'm not searching through the comments, but it's like you know the top comments will like pop up or whatever. And oh man, do I have some doozies! Uh, first, first comment I saw was uh, <laughs> he looks like he sleeps with his eyes open. <laughs> I mean, that's funny. Like I would use that line to describe myself on stage like 
I look like if Jesus slept with his eyes open. I mean, that's... Why? How did everyone get so funny? Why is life a roast battle now? Candace, who left that comment, he looks like he sleeps with his eyes open. And it has 278 likes, by the way. It's like, fuck. Uh, so that one made me laugh. And this one, I mean, this is almost like a sign of... Uh, of I've made it, is uh, political comments have broken out underneath my clip. Uh, which, the clip is about, you know, my daughters practicing their emotions in front of the mirror and, you know, what that means for me and for their future people they date. Uh, so this I, this was like the comment I saw when I was checking reviews. Uh, funny, four question marks, it's your job as a father to guide your kids. Not just watch them. I don't find this funny at all. Disturbing and sexist. All caps. Yes. Also, playing clueless is not cute. It's damn. I don't know. I don't know what that means. It's damn and leads to misogyny. So please kindly stop exploiting your daughter's behavior issues as your comedy load. For all our sakes. Okay. I actually thought I'd get more of those comments because, uh, you know, it's – I don't think it's sexist, but it it does kind of say, hey, there's differences in gender. And it does also assume that my daughter will uh, marry a man. So there's a lot of uh, assumption in the bit because that's what comedy is. Uh, so I actually thought I'd get more of those comments. but So anyway, the, uh, the person puts that. And then uh, underneath that, first comment, hypocrite liars. What a typical leftist SJW liberal with three poop emojis. And then a whole bunch of comments about this is why feminists are losing people and fuck you and people are sharing memes. And uh, <clears throat> you know what? I'm not leaving comments. I learned my lesson. But I was almost like, yeah, okay. Maybe that's a sign. You know what? When you, when when my clip has finally gotten to the point where uh, SWJ's SJW is getting brought up, uh, and <laughs> there's also there was a lot there was comments like this guy this dad looks tortured or someone needs to put him out of his misery or I kind of feel like uh, like when Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper yeah that's the level I'm at. Uh, when they performed at the Grammys and everyone was like, look how in love they are. Look how they look at each other. You can't, they're in love. You can't fake that. In the shallows. And then, uh, you know, Lady Gaga even got asked, like, what's going on between you and Bradley Cooper? And she's like, we're professional Actors, we're acting. It's a song about being in love in a movie where we fell in love. We're performing. That's how that's how I feel when people are like, look how tortured this dad is. You can tell he's I'm like, yes, I'm performing. I'm that's why I'm not just reading off a piece of notebook paper, because I'm a comedian. I'm performing. Yes, I'm looking tortured because the bit is about me being tortured. You know, it's just kind of funny to me where it's like I am talking about a true thing that happened, 
But it's also not like a documentary on the pitfalls of fatherhood. I'm doing a joke for comedic effect. Look how tortured this guy is. Someone needs to put him out of his misery. And by the way, uh, person, uh, I will continue to exploit my children. Okay? That's my right. As the sperm donor, I will continue to exploit my children. Also, if that person, if that person who said I was a sexist, whatever, uh, if she saw me at a comedy club perform that bit, she wouldn't have thought that. You know, it's just the online aspect of it, which which everyone gets their uh, everyone gets their uh, judgy hats on. You know, <clears throat> at, at at a live performance, she wouldn't have thought twice. She probably would have laughed, but in the comfort of her own judgy home. Uh, she can be like this. <laughs> it just makes me, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm like, that's, you think my comedy's the misogynist kind? Okay. You must not have seen a lot of comedy. I mean, what am I supposed to talk about? All the good things I'm doing with my children? You know, like, It's, I mean, that's why I wrote a book and have a podcast called Happiness Isn't Funny. Because the good things aren't that fun to talk about. At least on stage. I can't, you know. Hey, I love my wife. My kids are great. Good night. Not a good show. My daughters have some evil in them. My son has some dumb in him. These are things I can talk about on stage, you know? I I uh, I have an old bit about my son trying to put a matchbox car in his butt. Is that disrespectful to boys? It's definitely disrespectful to matchbox cars. I mean, he didn't put the matchbox car in his butt because he comes from a family of tight assholes, okay? That's medically proven. I have a note. Anyway, if I've made it to the point where I have people uh, leaving comments about social justice warriors and snowflakes, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to consider that a success. Yeah, I got ninth place in the San Francisco comedy competition in 2006. But look at me now. A misogynist, sexist piece of shit. So, you know, you never, you never know what's coming on your journey. You really don't. That really, that really would have surprised the the nineteen year old punk rock kid that I was. That uh, <laughs> I I didn't know I was going to live long enough to be a misogynist, but uh, here I am. Maybe I'll uh, I'll go take a nap with both my eyes open. And see if that changes. <laughs> Sleep with both eyes open. Actually, uh, this was, uh, I've been thinking about my punk rock youth this week because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, had a little misogyny stuck in my throat. Uh, uh, 
a band I loved. I guess I still loved, but when I was when I was young, I loved. They were an Olympia band. They were called Fits of Depression. And uh, the singer, guitar player, uh, Mikey, Mikey D's, he died this week. And, uh, yeah, it's just made me think about that. Because I, I think, um, I think I probably have seen Fits of Depression more than any other band than my own. Because we used to, I mean, they would play, I mean, they they would play some pretty terrible shows. Uh, because, you know, when I was underage, when we were underage punk rock kids, it'd be like, oh, they're out at some Grange Hall in, like, Rochester, which is, like, 20 minutes outside of Olympia. And so we'd go out there, and it would be, like, us and 12 other drunk people. And uh, so I just... I saw them so many times, and I loved them so much. They were so fucking good. And, uh, yeah, it's weird because they were everyone from, like, you know, Riot Girl bands of the time, you know, Bikini Kill or later Slater Kinney, or I know they loved Fits of Depression. And also, like, all the metalhead people loved Fits of Depression, too. They were just, like, a very universally beloved band. Uh, and I think it, I, you know, yeah, they, I saw them do a lot of shitty shows, uh, not, they weren't shitty, but like the venue was shitty and stuff, but they did, I mean, they did a lot of great shows too. In fact, I saw them open for Nirvana at the Key Arena in Seattle and, um, you know, in the nineties it was like when bands were getting signed and stuff. Uh, there was a lot of like, well, who's next? Who's next? And then, uh, you know, at a certain point, it's just like, oh, no one's next because, you know, people have moved on and this scene is no longer the spot or whatever. And I think I think at one time, Fits of Depression did like sign a record deal. I'm not sure. I, I, I never knew the guy that close, but um, I definitely, when we were a young band, we idolized Fits of Depression. In fact, we we uh, <laughs> we made a little demo tape, and we knew where we knew where Mikey lived, and so <laughs> like in downtown, and we threw the demo tape with a note in it into his bedroom. And then I, you know, at the time we're like, well, I hope he got it. And then like a couple years later, we're like, we hope he never got it because that's pretty embarrassing. It's pretty embarrassing to like throw a note with a throw a throw a tape through a window to like, hey, check out our band. Uh, he actually he lived like uh, there was a, a, a it was called the Uncola, and I saw tons of bands there, but they. It fit like probably 50 people at the most, but he like lived sort of right above it. So I would, we would go to like shows and he would like, you know, come out and smoke a cigarette on the fire escape in his underwear. Like, wait, what's going on down there? We just thought he was the coolest fucking guy, man. And, uh, he was super nice to everybody. And, uh, it's, it's weird. It's one of those things like I was not close to him. Um, but it it is like when I, when I heard he died, it just made me like ah fuck that's like part of my past dying, because uh, 
I don't know, fits of depression was kind of a big part of my life, big part of the music scene uh, then. And, uh, and uh, I, I mean, I know people who knew him personally, and obviously this is a much more, you know, they were friends with him. So this is a much more uh, a personal loss for those people. For me, it's just more of a, uh, uh, I'm sad about it, and it makes me reflect on, uh, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, Mikey brought a great deal of joy to my life, even though I didn't know him, and that's that's what a band can do, that's what a comedian can do, and that's um, that's pretty awesome, you know? That's uh, That's as good a legacy as anything. You know, I mean, whether you bring joy to millions of people in your artistic career or thousands of people in your artistic career, um, in some ways it doesn't matter. If you if you're one of the thousands, it's it's just as special as if you were one of the millions. Um, so uh, even though I mean. Uh, Fits of depression is known all over the world. It's not by a lot of people, you know. Um, but it doesn't fucking matter. I think I think about that now in comedy because when like when people compliment me or any other comedian, one of the comp one of the things they say is like, "How come you're? How come you? You know, you're hilarious. How come you're not on Netflix? Or how come you don't? You were not on the Tonight Show or whatever." And I appreciate that sentiment that my career should be bigger, but also, you just saw me. It doesn't matter if I'm on Netflix or not. Our paths just crossed. You just saw me. Um, and that's special enough, you know? And uh, that's why uh, today I'm going to go out with the Fits of Depression song. And... Um, I'm actually going to play a cover uh, of Fits of Depression. They they played a cover, and that's probably not the most representative of uh, of their band. But uh, it's also uh, it's eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny Jenny. It's a song that I know my wife loved for them to play, and I uh, I remember <clears throat> we were watching uh, Fits of Depression. Uh, play i think at i think at lake fair which is like this you know carnival in downtown olympia uh on on the lake the mistake by the lake and uh so it was like the middle of the day and i i remember we were watching fits of depression but then i had to leave to go to work i believe uh i worked at dirty dave's at the time making pizza and uh so we had to leave before they were done and then like as as uh as we were like three or four blocks away, we heard the first notes of uh, of uh, Fitz playing uh, Jenny Jenny, and I remember how disappointed my wife was because she wanted to see him play it. And of course, you know, I took it. I uh, I felt personally bad about it, which is, <laughs> I mean, what was I supposed to do? Not go to work? But anyway, uh, I, I I felt like I had somehow disappointed her, which is, probably says more about me than her. But uh, so we're gonna go out with that song, and. Uh, and we're going to go out with one I know my wife loved because she was standing right next to me at most of those Fits of Depression shows I saw. So, um, 
That's it. Talk to you next week.